Hello, and welcome to Book Reviews Kill, a podcast about fantasy, sci-fi, and horror novels. I'm Evan. And I'm Chad. And today you're joining us for our recap and discussion of Book 5 of The Expanse, Nemesis Games. And wow, this was excellent. Uh, I said in the Monday episode that this might have been... It's It might be my favorite, but it might be my... I think Caliban's War is still my favorite so far. Yeah, but this, this is one was right up very there. close. It's really, really good. Man. Which was good because i kind of felt the last and you know i could be wrong at the end of the story but i did feel that the last um book was a little bit of the filler episode just like we're off kind of doing this thing you know learning about the universe i guess which was nice but it seemed like a lot of pages was devoted to that one goal only to have like a conversation at the end with Avasalare and bobby that was like super important <laughs> yeah it really led into this book i mean i think cibola burn after kind of looking at this and I, i'm sure as we keep going through this series cibola burn is a really important book but i really like the direction that this book went i mean even i was a little worried at first that this would be a little on the boring side uh, i got initially mm -hmm. excited because we had so much from the rosinante crew ahead of us but then they split up and i was like wait no this, yeah this can't be how this is totally. why, why are poor they splitting holden up just yeah, left alone holden. and yeah. you know holden is kind of in a tricky little uh kerfuffle because he's not quite an earther anymore He's been gone so long yeah. and he's not quite a belter. So he just kind of like, it was very apparent to me that like his home or his friends and his crew. And when they're gone, he's just like, I'm a puppy, like all alone. Yeah, he even said that because he grew up in like a multifamily situation in Montana. And he just kind of realized like, oh, I don't really do that well when I'm by myself. Actually, I kind of need my family around here as boring as i thought and it kind of felt like the first like 100 pages was a little bit boring uh obviously we're always in good hands with james s.a corey and these separate storylines were so engaging especially the amos and naomi chapters in my opinion those were the best uh the alex chapters were great the holden chapters i don't know i feel like holden kind of had a back seat this whole yeah. book which is cool i we had a lot of him you know in the first four him and fred were just like hanging out and like hooking up you know <laughs> <laughs> i know i was just like can you two just make out already like this Seriously. is ridiculous <laughs> uh man i like fred and i like holden um but yeah getting to see way more of amos way more of alex way more of naomi it was excellent mm -hmm. did you know that naomi had a child before this book no well uh, we'll get we'll get up into that okay yeah, yeah. That was, the recap yeah yeah that was definitely that. really surprising just, just to kind of right before the recap uh, i was not expecting james corey to kill over a billion people in this book <laughs> i was like, expecting oh my one god that would have emotionally hurt me more than the three billion but well, uh because i thought it was gonna though. be a rossi crew but nope if you had told me that that was even on the bingo card for this series i wouldn't have taken it seriously that's yeah. Wow, we we had a pretty pivotal point in this book, and Bold I'm excited strokes. to talk to you about it. Let's get right into the recap. Let's do it. Nemesis Games begins at Tycho Station immediately after the events of Cibola Burn. The Rasinante is docked for long-term maintenance, and the crew splits up while it's being repaired. Amos Burton heads to Earth when he learns someone important from his past there has died to pay his respects and to make sure no foul play was involved. Alex Kamal heads to Mars in the hopes of getting closure with his ex-wife and to visit Bobby Draper. Naomi Nagata heads to Ceres Station when she receives a message that her son Philip is in trouble. While Jim Holden stays behind on Tycho to supervise repairs to the Rosinante, he is enlisted by Monica Stewart to investigate disappearing colony ships. Facing collapse by the exodus of colony ships through the rings, militant factions of the OPA coalesce into the Free Navy, led by Marco Inaros, Naomi's ex-lover and father to her son, Philip. The Free Navy wreaks havoc to the Earth by dropping asteroids onto the surface, and subsequently attempts to kill the Martian Prime Minister while en route to Luna, and Fred Johnson aboard Tycho Station. Amos survives the attacks on Earth, frees Clarissa Mao, and escapes to Luna with her help and the help of Baltimore-organized crime acquaintances from his old life. Alex meets Bobby on Mars, and they investigate missing Martian military equipment and ships, which leads them into the middle of the assassination attempt on the Prime Minister. Naomi is kidnapped by her ex-lover Marco, the leader of the Free Navy, but manages to escape. Alex and Bobby rescue her. The crew reunites on the Rosinante. What's left of the Earth, Mars, and the non-militant OPA government meet on Luna. 
Naomi finally tells Jim about her violent past, and Amos asks that Clarissa stay as his apprentice. The Free Navy has encamped past the belt and is preventing anyone from going through the rings. In the epilogue, it is revealed that the Free Navy was sold most of its equipment by a rogue faction of the Martian Navy led by Admiral Winston Duarte, and that the disappearing colony ships are being consumed by a force within the gates. I kept that one pretty short and sweet. That was nice. Yeah, it was. Uh, I was surprised. I was like, "Whoa, we're wrapping up." Yeah, we got the we got the high points here, and we're going to talk about a bunch of stuff too. So, the the other ones were really long. So, yeah, let us know, uh, listeners, if you prefer the really long ones or the kind of short ones. Uh, it's it's all whatever you want. We can do it. But we're trying new stuff out. We always used to. We started with them very short, but then we learned that a lot of uh, you wonderful listeners don't read the books and just kind of enjoy the episodes. Which you know, if you're in for it, then I'm totally in support of you doing that. But uh, so we made them a little longer. So. Everyone we'll can see. understand what we were we'll talking about. We'll find a good a sweet spot with it. Uh, sometimes, I mean, the first, I think uh, I did one for Abaddon's Gate, which was like 19 minutes long. And it was yeah. just like, maybe that was too much. You know, it, I did one for Aragon that was like half an hour too. <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, let's talk about Nemesis games. There's so many things to cover here. Should we start with the beginning or the end? I mean, well, let's start with the beginning because I think um, the, the prologue needs to be cleared up a little bit, at least for me. So Philip was attacking Callisto Station. Was he attacking it to get the material that made the asteroids resistant to the radar was that so funny because i have like literally almost the exact same question i'm like so did he raid the (laughs) yards uh the shipyards on callisto so he could get the high density resonance coating and like they needed that i guess to prevent them from detecting the asteroids that they were sending down i think that's what that was that, and that was sense. his involvement with it. So uh, Philip, I would argue, is directly responsible and involved. You know what I mean? There's no. Yeah, he's a real piece of shit. <laughs> like, yeah, wow. he's, well, I don't know. I wouldn't really necessarily blame Philip. Uh, he's 15. You know? Yeah, that's like, true. Like, if anybody in this situation has been groomed and gaslit besides Naomi, then it's definitely Philip. Um, it yeah, was really he's been manipulated. Man, it was so brutal to to read those Naomi. Like, I'm not a parent, but I can't mm-hmm. imagine what it would be like to have a, a child that you had to leave so for your own safety, you know, and then to see that child again be completely manipulated. Even in a situation where a billion people didn't die, you know, right. like just in a normal, like, like there's a, there's a house up for grabs or something, you know what I mean? It's just right. like a normal domestic situation, which would be bad enough and traumatizing enough. But Philip, I don't, Philip has almost no love for his mom. And I, I, I feel like the way he was written I was waiting for it. Like I was waiting for him to kind of like break down in tears. And it, it kind of seemed like he was going to when Naomi was in the airlock. But I have a feeling it was more because she was messing up the plans and this wasn't according to the plan. And he was really frustrated with it. I think Philip is all the way Marco, all the way OPA or Free Navy, I should say. He is 100% Marco for sure. And I think that Marco planned that, right? He was like, you know, when you talk to Naomi, she's going to seem really nice. And like, you know, I bet you he poisoned the whole thought. So he's like, I know what you're, who you really are, mom, though he actually doesn't, you know? And oh uh, my God, like Naomi just... Like gaslighting is such a rough thing to read about. It's such a rough thing to have happen to you. It's it's one of the worst things that you can do to another person is yeah. try to convince them that the thing that they're thinking is crazy or wrong or just try to like alter their state of reality and it, right. it's it's like really you truly manipulative. Are changing really their bad. reality. Yeah, and so I mean kudos to Naomi for not falling for it again and you know it sucks that she had to go through all of this obviously um you know seeing her just go through every possible (laughs) maneuver she possibly could to get off of that ship and then drift into the void of space which okay okay that was that was that was a little eye rolly for me because same i was like okay princess leia it's very it's very cool right it's definitely very cool yeah but for a book trying to be so scientifically sciencey i don't know i don't even know what happens to you when you drift out of space i'm pretty sure you can survive in the vacuum of space for like 10 seconds like i think your eyeballs like explode immediately i I don't know if (laughs) i don't think your eyeballs explode immediately and especially if you expel all the air out of your lungs i think that that's i think most of it's like scientifically sound i just didn't like the kind of like sequence of events leading up to it because wasn't she looking for like a crowbar or something i didn't understand how she got the airlock open on the other ship 
That's what I didn't like. She she's just like yeah, like from the outside. It, yeah, this is just, <laughs> our airlocks. Just you just press a little button and you can just get into the airlock. And then how did she like seal it back up? And I don't know. That was weird. It would make sense that like they don't expect anyone else to be out there, right? It's, but I mean, you could be boarded by someone with like suit or like armor. I don't know. It was I was also like okay she's inside now i guess uh, and i just looked it up you um you could only last for about 15 seconds without a spacesuit and you die of as- asphyxiation or you'll freeze yeah so if there's I, any she had air left seconds. in your lungs they will rupture totally so i think that um scientifically it was fine like I, I didn't that wasn't the eye roll moment it was mostly like that she just kind of found the side of the ship and then opened it up and got in there and everything was fine and it was just like well why, why were you looking for a crowbar then like why were you if you know, if you were trying to like right. pry your way into the ship and and then how would know, you close it once you pried it? Maybe I missed a line or something, but I don't I don't know. I just thought like we that both was missed like, that line. <laughs> it was such a cool part followed by it was such a cool and very intense and gripping and suspenseful part followed by me kind of like raising an eyebrow and being like, how the hell did you do that? You know, but Same. it's fine. It's, it's fine. fine. I feel like they wrote themselves into a corner maybe. And then they're like talking amongst themselves. Like, <laughs> do you think like anyone will notice? And they're like, no, they'll just be so stoked that she's alive. They'll be like, I was though. Just, me too. She had a rough time of it, this book. And there's like a couple moments where Naomi really, I think there's like four moments where Naomi is basically just like, well, this is how I die. This is going <laughs> to be it. And it's not even in a necessarily like, uh, suicidal kind of way, which had been an experience that she had had way earlier. She kind of like felt those feelings cropping up just a little bit again because she was in that same situation again and looking at the same events playing out because of her again. And it was just, it was all happening all over again. But she had this moment in space where she kind of like looked around and saw the stars and she was like, oh, this is so beautiful. Like, this is the way to go. And for a, f- a flicker of a half nanosecond, I was <laughs> like, this is where they kill Naomi. Yep, me too. In, in the in the beauty of the vacuum of the void, surrounded like, by stars, my bloodlust has been sated with the killing of Earth. We don't need to kill anyone else. We don't and need not to Naomi. Kill now let's talk about the uh, the bombardment of Earth real quick, um, because that was really abrupt. James, essay Corey, we we had the end of a chapter and then a news feed saying that Earth had been struck by an asteroid, and I kind of had to slow down and just really take in what was happening here right because we know more than that news feed and we're like oh no Wait, what do you mean like we knew that it wasn't an accidental asteroid oh well i mean i i didn't really know at first that it was an i thought it was just an asteroid that hit randomly oh i mean i figured it was some sort of foul play oh did you I think it was marco who. oh okay yeah, yeah. I, was I, like, some, I mean these fools are being shady no i didn't think that really i just thought like Earth gets hit by hit by asteroids sometimes. Like, <laughs> I'm like, you know wow, what? we're throwing this into the mix now. Let's you know, shake this story yeah, that's up. What I, <laughs> that's what I thought it was. Uh, but then, you know, the second one, you know, uh, obviously that right. all, and then the third one was it four. What are the odds? Yeah. <laughs> I think it was four. There was like one, um, and then one in Africa. The first one hit in Africa, I think, and then another yeah, one. There's Northern Africa, and then I think one near where Amos was on the East Coast. Let's talk about Amos. Okay. <laughs> okay. So I love the Amos chapter so much. Um, I really liked him being on Earth, going back to Baltimore, um, meeting up with Clarissa Mao. I thought was great. Going mm-hmm. into that jail, the conversation that they had, uh, it was really just like bop, 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 like interesting, consistently interesting, pretty much the entire time. Amos, his character, it's so much. Like it's so over the top badass yeah. that it's almost not believable. It almost like crosses into cartoon territory. Yeah. But there is a lot humanizing him as well. There's so much in there that makes for a totally rounded out, fleshed out character. You know, his his commitment to uh, young, struggling people, like young mm-hmm. people that are being taken advantage of. He has like a huge soft spot in his heart for them. Uh, young people that he feels like can still be redeemed in some way. Uh, it's Because right, he's it's feel huge. like he isn't, right? It's like a main part of his character. Yeah, and if you read like the the novella about Amos, all of that checks out. Um, they mentioned the churn most multiple times. The Amos chapters are great. I just sometimes it doesn't take me out of the story, but it's just like like when he's just like, ah, yeah, that only happens to me on days that end in Y. Like, yeah, okay, okay. Amos. It was like someone throws him a knife and he like kicks it into someone else. You're like, dude, what? Like, <laughs> yeah, um, but I mean, so much. We need that guy. We need that yeah, guy. Yeah, we do. You know, and he's the muscle. He's the tank character, of course, and he soaks it up and like. I don't know. They've just been really harping on that aspect of him that he is just like ultra badass. Like the last one, he was basically like, yeah, he had people around him helping him defend uh, who was the priestess. Who was the priest who was making the cast to the other ships? 
imploring them to do something. That was at the end of um Oh Abaddon's Gate? Yeah, Abaddon's Gate. Oh, I can't remember yeah, yeah. uh her name. It was like a Volavoto or something. Yeah, um, something like that. But you know, I don't know. It seemed like there was no one else. He's just like, I got this. And one person almost gets by and he, by him. And he's like, oh, I'm so sorry. I almost didn't fulfill my promise. It's like, it's okay, man. You're single-handedly <laughs> like <laughs> defending us against 30 guys. You know, I think he did have some of the more um, interesting chapters though. Like them kind of going through the apocalyptic wasteland together. That scene where Amos and Clarissa kill that guy and take all of his stuff like on that farmstead or whatever the super prepper guy i felt really bad for that guy me too he was kind of like wrong place wrong time man yeah and clarissa was like does that make us the bad guys and amos was just like uh I, <laughs> he's just like it makes like, us the alive guys let's go yeah, yeah exactly exactly he's so um he's just like it's just like survival and the people that are directly in his circle and that was a big thing about this uh, at least the amos chapters was like family um like tribes people when it when a when a catastrophe occurs break off into these little tribes like we're very that's kind of who we are as humans at the core like when i was reading um uh sapiens by uh noah noah yuval harari he kind of mentioned that anything after i think like 100 to 150 people it's overload like we start not caring about people and so amos has kind of like his crew he's got holden naomi alex and now Clarissa, and I think Avasarala to a certain extent. Like I love how he yeah. keeps calling her Chrissy. <laughs> yeah. That's really everyone's funny. getting nicknamed. Got peaches. Why is he calling her peaches? I don't. I don't where know. Did that I come think, from? Are they into? I guess they're. I don't know. Everyone's got eleven. I think now. me yeah, too. No, they're not eleven trees. That's like a. That's like a a father daughter thing that's going on here. You think so? Yeah, absolutely. Okay, I don't know peaches. I just thought the peaches was a No, 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 no. That's not a. That's not a thing. Uh, I do okay. think Alex and Bobby though. For sure, Alex and Bobby. Can we get that? I'm shipping Alex and Bobby. Like let's let's just do it. it yep, yeah, it's gonna happen. It's like their personalities really like work with each other. Um, because, like, because Alex is really calm at the end of the day, relaxed. and he's very relaxed, and he's really charming in his in his very own way. And so is mm -hmm. Bobby. Bobby's super charming, and but they're just in very different ways that kind of rub up against each other really well. And I like the like the shared silences that they have, the way that they eat together, the way that they talk about. They were both in the service for Mars. They're, they have a lot to relate to each other about. Uh, yeah, I just ah, I want to see it. Let's let's do it. Let's do it. The Venn diagram of their personalities crosses heavily in the poignant silence. You know, like a little sarcastic nothingness, and they're like are saying volumes. You know, which is really cool because they have like their own little like way of communicating. You know, and so I think uh, yeah, I'm I'm with you totally, one hundred percent. And they both seem to have this um this this kind of characteristic where they kind of underestimate themselves quite a bit. Because uh, yeah, Alex. Alex doesn't seem super confident with really anything mm -hmm. except for sitting behind in a, a pilot's chair, like, right. or is sitting in a pilot's chair. Um, that scene, the needle. Wow, man, that scene where Alex and Bobby are running away from those dark, like rogue ships in front of that <laughs> yeah. moon. I think it's an asteroid or a moon uh, where they thought that that other ship was going to be and that all those other ships came out and started shooting at them. And then he just without even telling Bobby throws it into like 10 G's or something. I think it was and 15. Oh my G's. God, that was yeah. that was probably one of the more exciting parts of the book for me. Um, and it's cool because you see it from a character who has been, I guess, meek. Uh, is meek too strong a word? No, meek is the right word. He's so I, if I could sit down and get a beer with any of these characters, I think it would be Alex, honestly, because Holden is a little too Boy Scoutish for me. He's changed a lot. Holden, we're going to get to really Holden. has. We're going to get to Holden. But um, like Amos for me is a little bit. He's just too intense. Like, I think he'd be fun for to a certain extent, but I think he would, I don't think he would like me. <laughs> I would want to, oh, he would like you just fine. No, I, I mean, know. as long as he, you know, he doesn't really like anyone unless you're in his family. But uh, I would want to, if I was hanging out with Amos, I would strategically plan an event. Like you need to be doing something because like you don't want to let him pick what you're doing or else you're going to end up like fighting a bunch in a bar fight or something. So you want to play pool or like have an activity, but he's not going to be telling you sweet stories about his past. You know what I really loved was uh, the conversation between Amos and uh, Alex at the beginning of the book. Alex was kind of pouring his heart and soul out to Amos and Amos was just kind of giving him very clear, short, honest answers. Mm -hmm. And, and you don't see that super often, uh, even with like really close friends. And I thought it was a really cool conversation to have them have they really showcase uh their individual personalities and the ways that they've grown together through everything that they've been through over the course of these books is that they're alex is comfortable enough 
with Amos to tell him all this stuff. Amos is comfortable with Alex not to lie to him or sugarcoat anything. And Alex is comfortable enough to receive those answers and know he's going to receive those answers from Amos. So that was awesome. And if you're looking for like savage honesty, Amos is your man. He just doesn't care enough to like be, and and maybe it's not even a care thing. He, he cares enough to be honest and he doesn't say words flippantly you know he, if he's gonna say something you probably should listen because it's probably gonna be important because he just doesn't talk besides when he has some truth to spill you know okay what did you think about clarissa kind of joining the crew um it seems I, like really fresh after the whole like yeah, i'm gonna kill you thing i don't really have like feelings on it one way or the other yet uh yeah. I'm definitely not i think holden is being a baby like it's come on like she's yeah. kind of redeemed herself I don't know. I, don't know. I, think, I think I'm why... a little protective as well. I'm just like, know. no, you don't. You tried to kill them like well, very how many people, not many pages but that's, ago. I think that's why we paired Clarissa and Amos together. Because like, look how many people Amos has killed. But I mean, she was specifically trying to kill them. Yeah, but <laughs> yeah, but she's not, not talking anymore. About just, like, the fact she's, killed. she's not anymore. And she's really useful. She's super smart. Uh, she was able to get Amos off the planet. Without Clarissa, Amos would not have been able to leave Earth. You're right. So, or maybe he would have been able to, but it, it not in a timely manner so that they could all unite <laughs> at the end. And it was a really good idea to actually have her pair with Amos because if there's any one that, like, if one person says, yes, this person is accepted, the rest of the crew will be like, yeah, that's fine. It's Amos, right? Because he's not going to do that with anybody, basically. So, yeah. And, like, I mean, Amos's past is super dark. You know, I mean, Clarissa's really young. She, yeah, it's, it's fine. I, I, but I also don't think, you know, absolutely we, we need her as a part of the crew either, you know? So yeah. I have, I have definitely mi- mixed feelings. I kind of want to see how Maybe she she'll is be my in the death. next, you, <laughs> your death. I'm still hunting for it. Well, I really wanted to, you know, but I got a lot more than I really. Yeah. You got about uh 999 million. 999, <laughs> more than I bargained for. Uh, but yeah, maybe she'll be, maybe she's introduced to, and kind of becomes part of the crew so they can really build her up emotionally and everyone like really likes her and then destroy her. I think she technically is part of the crew now because um, at the very end, uh, Avasarala tells, I can't remember exactly how the conversation went, but essentially Naomi said, I want total immunity for me and for the crew. And so then that's why Amos says, well, I'm bringing on an apprentice. So technically she's now part of the crew because she gets immunity too. Uh, and you know, Avasarala was just kind of like, all right, whatever i'll just go over here and control the rest of the galaxy over here like who what governing body is she the head of because she seems to be at the top of all of them no she's a she's a uh, de facto acting secretary general of the united nations so i think she was second in command technically uh the secretary general who it seems to be like the the governmental body and like function of the earth doesn't seem to really be super fleshed out yet or I don't yeah. know if it's going to be. Yeah, it definitely isn't going to be now. <laughs> I think the Secretary General, I don't know if they are literally the leader of the world of Earth, but I think that they're the leader of a military or any or Got whatever it. kind of like like service, like armed services there are, uh fleets, stuff like Head that. Head of the protection side I of guess. things. I don't know. Um but yeah, Avasarala was second in command, I believe, and then when the Secretary General died in the bombardment, she got promoted to first in command which she kind of already was anyway um but yeah. she i don't think she has anything to do with mars i think that was kind of like your hypothesis or whatever well, in the- someone said and she's she's basically like the per, she's like the head of mars as well like there was like a line maybe it was like a throwaway line by someone who didn't know her very well but someone was like she's that person that you don't know who's like been controlling mars this whole time and i remember reading that yeah uh but maybe i I'm mean just- <laughs> i think smith smith doesn't seem to be like super on top of the ball, you know, uh, yeah. but it doesn't seem he doesn't seem like a bad leader either. We just haven't really heard much from Smith. So it sounds like maybe that was maybe that was like a joke. Uh, but there is somebody. Maybe it was. Maybe I just totally read it wrong. And I was like, oh, my God, she's controlling Mars, too. <laughs> but there is somebody named Winston Duarte who we should talk about because yes. that epilogue was really informative. That epilogue was probably my favorite epilogue. No, the epilogue for Cibola Burn was really good. Uh, Avasarala and Bobby's conversation was excellent. Uh, actually, the epilogues for all of these have been really good. They are. They really hit hard. Yeah. Um, but in the epilogue, uh, we see that something is eating up these ships. And Duarte, did you notice that Duarte is the person that Alex talked to on Mars? Alex and Duarte had a conversation. And I and I oh, yeah. almost 
missed that. And then I was like, wait, did, didn't Alex talk to a guy? Okay, so that was, a, that was an interesting conversation. So Alex goes and talks to this guy. He like talks to one of his friends, and then his friend is like, let me get you a meeting with this guy. I didn't suspect him at all. Uh, he really seemed Neither. like he was trying to play his own investigation by the book, mm -hmm. uh, and he, but he didn't really help Alex either. And I kind of read back through that conversation, and there are definitely some moments where Alex is like, we're missing some ships, and Duarte is just like, ooh, like, are <laughs> ooh, you that's, now? Yeah, that's, that's odd. Let's not even go look for him. <laughs> so Duarte is the, the, the real puppet master behind Marco, who I think we should definitely talk about yes. now because marco he's the real piece of shit. <laughs> like, okay so i i thought marco was easily easily the most interesting antagonist in the story so far by a mile because i mean everybody else has been pretty pretty interesting to a certain extent you know they've got like their reasons for stuff or they're all they're ostensibly right, the head of the uh Space Station protomolecule guy. He was pretty interesting, but he like was Dresden. very you know, evil. Yeah, Dresden, thank you. Yeah, a lot of them were mustache twirly, kind of like, ah, I'm just, ah, like money or power or whatever. But Marco, this is like a whole different thing. This, And not only is it a lot more complicated, um, and I'm not trying to justify his actions, but it is more complicated. And we get to see way more of it through Naomi, who already has a history with him. So we're we as the reader are much more intimate with this whole situation uh marco uh, okay let's let's talk about him because <sighs> man there's a lot there's a lot to it doesn't seem like there's a lot to it but there actually is in my like opinion. is he what do, you, what do you think his motivations are i mean i think he truly thinks that with all of this new colonization with all these ships going through the rings like the belters i need to make this really clear if for anybody that's reading along with us and and hasn't gotten to this point yet the belters can't go to these other planets no like see that's that's a really big deal they can, but it's like a year or something of them no, taking they, they a bunch don't have of the drugs. Bone structure. Yeah. Well, they, can... they can't be in an in an atmosphere that has gravity because they grew up without it, so it'll be painful. Yeah, I think like babies might be able to or something like that. But like the vast majority of the population of the Belters, which is a lot of people, cannot survive on these planets, and so they're going to be forgotten about. Like the 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 Belters supply so much <laughs> to the to the inner planets that's why we have like this kind of very shaky working relationship of trade much like we do on on earth right now with different nations you know whereas the relationships aren't super good but we do have a very good like trade thing going right, as long as like keeping everything flow, yeah soldiers exactly. don't so that's the thing is that <laughs> when all these planets have a, as many resources as they could need in theory these belters are going to be left behind and it's i think from marco's perspective nobody is going to do anything about it because there's so much wealth to be gained they are going to be left behind not to totally. mention the xenoph not, not necessarily xenophobia but i would call i would call it racism you know against absolutely belters uh you know it's it's really there it's an it's actual us, thing for yeah. sure um and then that's not to say that like you know the belters definitely seem to have their own prejudices but i think from marco's perspective um, when you kind of combine the situation that the Belters are now facing with a lot of the prejudice that they've seen, which seems to be pretty heavily weighed toward the Belters, you know, I would yes. say people are more prejudiced towards Belters than Belters are towards the Inners, in my well, opinion. I, I, I agree with you. I mean, I think that we've seen a lot of the Belters. Like, we've spent more time with the Belters, and so we've seen them be like very um, vitriolic towards people who are, are outsiders. And and But I think that's more of a reaction to the to the rest of the universe kind of shunning them and being like you're just the tools that we use uh for labor out there but yeah they've got a major problem on their hands as the next like it would be very terrible to be like a 10 year old belter right now because i remember when um in the second book i think the priests um her her partner took their child to earth because they're like he's coming up on like three or something we need to put him in atmosphere so that he grows um, oh, that was book and, three i think was that book three thank you yeah. um and, you know, isn't just stuck in non-gravity uh, wells all of his life because his body grew that way. But there's a whole generation of belters that will be, will be as the rest of us, as the rest of us, me, I am going <laughs> forth, uh, as the rest of the universe kind of goes forth and settles, finding, like you said, way cheaper resources that can now outcompete what the belters, the one advantage they did have. It's going to be an interesting journey for them. <laughs> so, okay, so all of that being said, that is not a justification in any way 
for killing a billion people with asteroids. Oh, for sure it is. And no, so, I'm like, I think, <laughs> so here's here's how how I'm thinking about all of it after reading this and kind of thinking about it. Okay, so um, I mean, it definitely got attention on the Free Navy. Well, yeah, that's but, for I, sure. But I, I feel like they could have attention by like blowing up an envoy, not a planet, the planet. Yeah, because I mean, now I mean, I think um, I think Monica said it, or there was like an interview where Monica, I think it was Monica, said this isn't a war. You know, and maybe it was Avasarala. I think it might have been Avas. Doesn't matter. They said this isn't a war. They've committed crimes. You know, like we're not. This isn't a nation <laughs> against another nation. No, these are terrorists. These are terrorists. We're going right. to go deal with this. I don't know what Marco was hoping to accomplish. Or see, this is the thing. Also, is that I don't think Mark. This isn't Marco's plan. He didn't come up with this. He's being directed by Duarte. Yes. At least I think that's what's going Winston. on. I could be wrong. I, I could be proved wrong in the next book. But uh, I think Duarte saw in Marco somebody that could be taken advantage of because of his ideology. He was already, uh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to use this word here uh, liberally, but I don't really know if it applies, but I would say he's an extremist. Uh, well, absolutely he is. Yeah, I killed a billion people. <laughs> he killed a billion people, man. Yeah, right. In order to know, get some attention like, to his cause, but, he drove an asteroid totally. into no, the you're planet. Right, you're right, you're right, you're right. But uh, I think that Duarte did come up with that plan and he's got an idea so it's it's funny because your knee-jerk reaction is kind of like what does that gain for marco but i think that he's already so far gone and he's already so like desperate you know right. for some kind of change like he wants the earth and Mar he wants earth and mars to fundamentally change the system that the belters are working in in a lot of different ways so it makes i feel like in marco's mind he's like this is probably going to do it. You know, and if right. we can, like it's time to get their come up and it's like a big middle finger sort of thing, especially if we can take out Fred Johnson, who I, it makes sense that he would think Fred Johnson is, um, an earther turned belter who has killed a bunch of belters, which it's not Fred Johnson is all day belter, you know, like yeah. he's proved himself over and over again. Like go read butcher of Anderson station. That's 100%. Um, so yeah, Marco is very much wrong here, but I definitely, it's so weird to say I see someone's point of view when they just killed a billion people, but I I get it because he's he's looking out for this is a real situation. The Belters being in distress here is real, but mm -hmm. his methods were completely uncalled for, and Mars is kind of dealing with this too. You know, right. like it's it's not going to fix the problem. Okay, so here's what I think is going to it's going to exacerbate the problem. I would think because as the planet is now basically ruined and destroyed. I feel like there's going to be a mass exodus because there's a whole bunch of not recently asteroided planets that Earthers can go live on. And so I don't know if he was like hoping inside, like maybe a, a thin justification for his thing of like, it wasn't just a middle finger. Like that was the primary reason, but also he's like, well, maybe they'll come like make our economy good by moving out here. But I think they're just going to fly right on past and go out the gate. Well, what they want to do is like shut down the gates and then bring all the the resources that they had been trying to get through the gates over into the belt, right? And they wanted uh, Ganymede to work in, in sync with all of this as well, and basically strengthen the belt and the outer planets uh, into their own, basically like self-sufficient society that doesn't really need Earth and Mars anymore. But I think that that's a really shoddy plan because you're never going to stop that kind of progress ever. It's never gonna happen. Like you can try as hard as you want, but people moving to where there are resources has been where what people do this entire time. We will find a way. <laughs> we, Life we are not going to live where way. you tell us to. Like we are, and it's it's almost like one of those things where you know you've got uh, fifty billion people that want to go live on resource rich worlds and be self sufficient too. Like they want what you already want, Marco. You know, yep. it's it, you are caught between a rock and a hard place here. Your your specific situation is really uh, kind of untenable for you, right? But at the same time, you're kind of fighting against a raging river of people trying to go live their own lives and and have their own uh, nourishment and plenty and things mm -hmm. like that. So uh, again, I totally see why that would be so frustrating. You know, especially when you've had a, lo a lot of uh, prejudice like directed your way for most of your life too. I mean, it's, I think it's a brilliantly written uh, villain here because I see every side of everything. I agree though. I mean, he's not being very logical though. I think he's probably way beyond logic. He's just like purely emotional. So I, I understand, like you said, I do get it. But like me, when I'm reading, I'm like, what is this even accomplishing? You're not even doing anything, man. And like, you're not going to make the belt better by 
destroying Earth. But like, see, that's that's uh, how you. That, but that's how Duarte. I think that, that we gotta keep an eye on this Duarte guy, dude. You know yeah, I mean? he is. Because, he is the puppet master, the elite. Yeah, because he. I think he recognized that Marco was ready to believe anything. Yeah, you know, and that's he used him. That is a that's a dangerous position to be in yeah. if you're about to be manipulated by somebody. Uh, and and oof, it's so ironic. At the end, uh, yeah, it is ironic. Uh, Marco issues like a statement and he declares himself the commander of the free Navy. Right. But I think that he's still just the front man for um, Wil- Wilson. Winston Duarte. Uh, Duarte Winston, yeah. There we go. Thank you. Yeah. He said the, the MCR and the UN no longer control anything outside of their planets. And so it's like the belt is now a thing. Totally. That would be nice, but I don't know now. I don't know what's going on. Uh, I think that Babylon's ashes is going to shed a lot of light on what what is actually happening here. Very I think that, name. I think that uh, I know, right? <laughs> <laughs> Babylon's oh, ashes. Um, but I, I feel like uh, maybe Nemesis Games and Babylon's Ashes are like one book, you know? Because this yeah. felt like half a book. It felt like a, like like Empire Strikes Back almost in the sense that. Nobody really won anything. Like, there's no real victory here. Everyone like lost. <laughs> yeah, um, and it feels like it feels like there were a lot of questions raised, and we didn't really get the answers to them. And that in this in the sixth book, it's a lot of maybe hopefully revelation and a lot of seeing who's actually in charge of things, and maybe we'll get some more answers about the old <laughs> thing that's eating ships. Which, like, I don't. I don't or the know. Gate. Well, I mean, the, I understand what the ships. gate is. Well, I think that there's something um, on the other side of the gate that is eating the ships. Because I think you can still get a signal from the ships once they're through the gate. Um, but see, that's the, th- that's the thing, is that they're not getting those signals from those ships once they pass through the gate. That's what Monica shows Holden, is that these ships are just disappearing into, like, as far as I can tell, like, just like this glob of evil. Is that really <laughs> all I know right now? It's like I mean, pure <laughs> evil. It's like, turns out dark energy is not a thing. It's evil and it's everywhere. <laughs> I hope that's not what it is. I hope it's not Me just too. like dark matter or something like I, that. I hope it's sentience. Like, I hope it's like a, you know, I mean, I don't hope that because that would suck for everybody because right. whatever that is is probably unfathomable blob of evil and sentient malice uh, or just winston's gonna unzip his suit and be like lizard people at the end that'd be cool too i would be, I would be here okay for that. that i don't think that's what's gonna happen but no. definitely would be cool with that um but yeah i'm really excited for book six even though i've seen quite a bit of discourse that says that book six is the slowest book on a lot of people's like i looked up like ranking lists and stuff that people did on reddit and uh, Nemesis games seem to be hovering right in the top three for most people. Um, and then, and also Tiamat's Wrath, which is book eight. Apparently book eight is really, really good. Uh, but apparently book six, uh, don't look forward to a whole bunch of action, I guess. But I don't know. I don't really trust the internet too much on that kind of Me stuff. Either. You know, it's funny because like I've said in many other podcasts, like I'm not a huge fan of political maneuvering and intrigue and stuff, but... I'm into it with this. <laughs> I'm really cool with this. This isn't like politicians arguing in court and being like, no, you must marry my daughter and force her to do it. It's like, it's not like all these like string pulling. It's like, there's that happening, but it's more like chaos. This is when I say I need and love a good shaking of the snow globe. This was the ultimate example of the shaking of the snow. It's like, <laughs> they shattered that thing against a wall. And you've got these politicians like Avasarala who are so colorful and so uh, magnetic. And, you know, you just, you know, my eyes just can't leave the page when she's on it. Mm-hmm. And she's talking about politics a lot of the time, but she just dresses it up so well. And it's so funny and, and really. It's like a pirate uh, queen. Yeah, yeah, right. She's very, <laughs> yeah. she's so capable that I just want to see her be really capable all the time, uh, even though it's kind of like mired in this kind of like soup of. Uh, delegations and politicking and stuff like that but i'm so cool with that let's i don't want to go back i I do i'm gonna go back to duarte uh here the admiral duarte who took took over the (laughs) duarte is it duarte i think in order to make it duarte it has like the little but you're probably right it probably is duarte i hope it's not duarte (laughs) Duarte. (laughs) that doesn't sound as cool (laughs) no not at all maybe i don't know i did an audiobook this one i did i should know I just like never remember. I was like, right, whatever. Um, so he, at the end, he kind of was like, yeah, no, I'm just going to like take over the rest of the Martian Navy because I'm like Admiral and like do my own thing here. And then he's like, I'm going to be working with the Free Navy, but 
I don't, I think he might turn on him maybe like once he's in position behind him and take no, him out. He'll I, use them. He'll use them as long as they're useful. Yeah, that's true. But maybe once he's got him surrounded, you know, he's like, let's join forces. Then he's got like all of his, he'll do whatever tech is, Martian ships. He'll do like, whatever he needs to do. What I'm wondering is if Duarte knows something about what's eating up these ships in, in a, in a way that like nobody else does. Like how far and how far ahead of the game is he? That's what I want to find out in the next book. Right. You know, like what is it that he? What information does he have? That what and also what did he need the proto molecule for? Right. Because he's got some proto molecule. He does. He has the only proto molecule sample that there is. And I thought that was <laughs> so. Let me let me just real quick. As far as like zany stuff happening, like the proto molecule getting stolen. And Holden just, I just pictured Holden like with his hands on his head, just like, oh no, they oh, stole the... <laughs> no, more proto molecule. I, I understand how it was Where's taken in that Miller? whole scene. That that scene was interesting for sure, but it was just like, come on, you guys. Yeah. Oh boy. Oh it's man, fine. I mean, it's fine. I feel like it's kind of hinted that Duarte has a a much larger, more powerful alien artifact in his possession as well he's got some strings that he's pulling that yeah. are way bigger than we know i really want to find out what's going on with that yeah it's gonna be cool so into him being an alien i would be cool with him being just the main the the big bad yeah you like know what the I mean? entity uh because we still haven't figured that out yet uh but i was were you suspicious of prime minister smith because i was sure. yeah, were you yeah, really oh my yeah, god i mean his yeah. name is smith first off it's like yeah i know <laughs> Sorry to all the Smiths out there. Yeah, sorry, Smiths. <laughs> Matrix really messed that one up for you. But I, I don't know why, but like there was a part where Alex was uh, piloting the uh, the Razorback and he, he he could like hear Smith talking. And I felt that like that was a weird thing to put into the book that yeah. Alex could overhear Smith's con like snippets of Smith's conversation. And Smith was being like really polite and like cooperative and cool and like calm headed about everything. Like he it's almost like he thought cogs. it's almost like he knew he wasn't going to die. You know, I don't know. Yeah. I don't know. And I could be so wrong about this, but this Smith guy, we haven't spent enough time with him and mm, I don't know. He seems like a, a pretty good person to have on your side. Duarte, yes. like Marco, because uh, Marco didn't really even say anything about Smith either, uh, so I'm yeah, I don't know, but yeah, you know I've been raised before. in his direction. So the ship, uh, the book ends with the Barkeith going through the Laconia Gate, right, which is like the one that keeps eating, or something on the other side keeps eating ships. Yeah, because Duarte's is not there... on that ship. No, right? no, they're just mentioning him. I think that ship is dead. Yeah, it is. Yeah, yeah, it's totally Absolutely. dead. Totally dead. Mm -hmm. So, but you know, they got to like you know. Uh, become aware of the detail of the granular uh, made uh, yeah, that was weird that was yeah, a weird last weird. few paragraphs occasionally the <laughs> these books they're so marvelous in this way that they're like like they haven't gone straight like little green men yet but they've gone you are everything and nothing like <laughs> yeah it's an interesting idea um the, you they know, write it well yeah they really do it's very visual for sure mm -hmm. and that's a tough thing to write too yeah, like I've read some um, fantasy novels where like the character, a character becomes like a god at the end, you know, or like evolves into some greater being and takes over for some deity that sacrificed themselves or something. And I've definitely seen that like omnipotent sense done way worse. Yeah, absolutely. Like I read it and I'm like, cool. I have a question and it's important to me that the okay. answer to this question is the answer that I want it to be. So help me out here. Okay. Uh, does Bobby strap herself to a missile? And then no. is that not well, what happened? I well, think okay, that's no, what she, happened. she does. She uses her magnetic boots. That's what I yeah, that's what I no, meant. No though. straps. Okay. I meant strap in like the sense that so Bobby, I just thought but it sounded cool. But she surfs it like a surfboard. That's man. what I thought She's happened. Like, oh my god. Yeah. And then she yeah, no, grabs she Naomi, she grabs Naomi, slams an oxygen tank into her. That was so oh my god. Like that's one oh, of those. Awesome. That's a really good example of moments in these books. Just like like Amos is kind of like this character, but it, all of his moments are these moments. But right, just the moments in these books that are just flirting with stupid, but it's totally not touching that line. But it's mm -hmm. it's just flirting with it. But because it's just flirting with that line, it's so cool. Like it's so goddamn awesome. Because yep. and the way that the chapter ends too is Bobby's just like, "How good are you with those missiles?" And I was like, "No way! <laughs> no, that's not way. what's gonna happen." Right <laughs> now. Oh my god! I'm so happy that's uh, actually what what happened. I didn't. Oh, that's that. absolutely what Ooh. happened. Okay, so the one thing that I was like, 
uh, maybe I don't believe you is when um, Alex was running away from the missiles doing his 15 G burn. And then he, he ejects his core and like everything in space is like, like you're close. If you're within like a kilometer of something like almost a mile. And somehow he's gets the core to hit one of the missiles. Like I figured that, that seemed like a ridiculous needle uh, shot right there. You know, I think there's just some stuff in these books. that's just like, if it's a chance of it happening and it, and it yeah, happens, or it, we just keep going. You know what right, I mean? Right. So because if, if even, there's a wall of missiles, the Rossi will find a way to get through them. <laughs> <laughs> I did like in this book that there wasn't a ton of Holden, Alex, Amos, Naomi, just in gunfights and running around and like not getting shot by anything. People. Yeah, I think that that was a really good move to split them up, put them into situations that really tested them, but tested them in ways we hadn't seen yet in the books. You know, Amos is dealing with basically the apocalypse, you know, it's just basically oh, for sure the, the world ending. <laughs> yeah. um, and so like Amos is dealing with all of that with Clarissa. So, he, I mean, he's basically got this malnourished prisoner with him going through the Fallout 3 wasteland with a bicycle, you know, and no supplies uh -huh. or anything. So that was really interesting to read about. Alex is in his comfort zone, but he's not with his comfort zone. So that was awesome to see him at a place like that. I do have a question about the Naomi chapters, uh, not necessarily something that I needed clarification on, but I just wanted to get your opinion on something. Did you, I don't know, I, I didn't like the Naomi chapters at first, because I was like, what the hell is going on? Like, yeah. who are all these new people? Why is Philip here? What did he do? Why is, who is this Marco guy? And Why did the, you push Holden away? And it was a lot of backstory, which I appreciated because we didn't really get a lot of Naomi, hardly through the first four books at all. I mean, right, just she's I'm really happy has degrees coming out the ears. right. She, she was a really good engineer and her and Holden are sleeping together. That's basically what Naomi was for the first four books. So I'm really glad that we got so much more of her. But at the same time, um, those chapters were very off putting for the first like three or four of them until yeah, they didn't fit. Yeah, until Marco got in there and then sewed up kind of some of why Naomi was there because that was kind of the question I kept asking myself over and over I was like why is Naomi even here and I don't think I have a really concrete answer on that still I was wondering if you could shed Naomi some light here, on that. like being in the story at all no no not in the story at all but why is why was Naomi taken to Ceres and then to uh, Marco's ship I don't have a satisfying answer for that because she was and she was very particular about not having Holden cut. Like, she was like, I will break up with you if you, like, come with me. Like, you have to stay, which I thought was like, well, you're just jumping to that right out of the gate. Like, okay. I think it makes sense. I think it makes sense that she said that. I don't know. It seemed a little, like... No, because Holden... Give the in guy her, a chance. To... I mean, it, but in her... It wasn't like, oh, I need to keep these secrets from you. It was like, no, if you come with me, you're going to get involved because that's what you do. And I can't have you just run in and be my white knight yeah but the, that's whole... kind of what your partner's for like to be a, you know a shoulder to lean on not a white knight maybe but, but not someone. this situation and not holden you know what yeah, I mean? like, so, holden is, <laughs> so i think that naomi made a really good call there and it was you know i mean holden can trust her you know it's like that's also what being a partner is too is being able totally. to trust people and like but he should you know I, I don't know i felt like she didn't handle it very gracefully she's like i will break <laughs> up with you if you and he's like whoa okay okay but uh, yeah, it was it was just really abrupt because they were just like hanging out and yeah. she basically got a text message and packed a bag and <laughs> failed yeah so i totally i say threatened their but threatened their relationship and peaced out so maybe i can um shed a little light on this myself and then get your feedback on it and kind of answer okay. my own question because it seemed like marco wanted the Rocinante there to disable it or something or like he wanted whole yeah. he, he invited oh he wanted Naomi to come because he thought he Naomi would bring Holden is yes. that what, what was that what yes. and then when yes, Naomi was. showed up then, alone he was like ah damn this yep. isn't really my plan and uh, I really liked towards the end of the book as well where um we kind of realized that Marco didn't really get anything done that he had been wanting to i mean he didn't he didn't apprehend fred uh he didn't apprehend holden he didn't kill naomi i don't know if he wanted to kill naomi but nothing he wanted to do really happened except for earth getting hit by all those asteroids which definitely happened he was thwarted at every turn except for the big one yeah there was i think he was planning on like the rossi would have blown up or something if they didn't 
recognize that they like called Alex and was like, "Hey, you were some someone like wrote a program that was going to do something bad to the Rossi." Right, exactly. It was, well, it wasn't going to blow it up. It was going to incapacitate it, or at least that's what they said was going to happen. Okay. But I don't know if that was what was actually going to happen. That's why that whole thing was the only thing in the whole book where I was like, "Wait, what is going on here? Like, why, why is that like that?" So it's like they programmed the Rossi to blow up, but then someone said, "No, it, we we only did it to like three percent, so it was just like incapacitate it or something." And so I don't know if, which one of those was a lie. You know, and then Naomi's like, you wanted Holden to come here. Marco's like, no, I didn't want that to happen. And right. Naomi's like, yeah, you totally did. Yeah, you did. But then, <laughs> and then, like, Naomi, <laughs> it was just, yeah, that was, like, the only part of the, the story was, I think on a reread, I'll definitely get more of that. But there was, was a lot going on. There was a lot of ship names in this In, book. in the like, whole series. so many ship names. And I was just like, I don't know what this ship is, uh, you seriously. know? Seriously. And if you could just name it, like, like this ship is called ship brown and this ship right. is called ship orange or something <laughs> i they're so i mean the, the ship names are cool and if you sound them out you know while you're reading they sound pretty cool like mm. rasinante you know that, yeah. that's a cool name for a ship but at the same time uh i don't i can't remember it's like there's like donager class but like weren't they on a ship called the donager yeah or that's what i thought thought like the first one that they were on the mars (laughs) ship but like maybe it was just a donager class was the first of the class or something because it's definitely a class of a ship too i don't know uh i had a good laugh at uh monica she's upset at holden right because he brought in fred and like sakai and paula and on the investigation that they were doing where they like paid the data wonk and (laughs) i was like yeah like you thought Holden was your guy to keep the secret keeper <laughs> like Mr. Two Wars because he can't keep anything to himself like man you should have seen that one coming from a mile off Monica do you feel like Holden has changed a decent amount a lot yes okay how yeah. um he is he's still a self-righteous yeah he's still a boy scout he's still a boy scout truly in his heart and he will always he will always be but he's he's Hey, you just got to be realistic about these things. He's a little, he's got a little Logan in him now. Yeah, you know? he's wising he's, uh, up a little bit. He's yeah. wising up a little bit. And there's been times that he's almost killed people like he got so angry at uh, Miller doing in the first book. And he he's just, he's awaking to the reality of the world and that things are far more complicated than this black and white, bad, good world that he really wanted to be the re- true reality but he knows it is not and, and motivations are a lot trickier and more in depth he's just growing as a person he's becoming wise but, but he's not wise split he's into more to, wise. to good people and death eaters yeah <laughs> and death eaters uh, okay so as we kind of start wrapping up here i feel like we hit a lot of the high points um but i wanted to read this quote from amos and it really just sums up amos <laughs> It was when he was talking to Avasarala and he said they were talking about Mertry and Amos says Mertry swung first. So technically that was self-defense. And if I'd <laughs> wanted him dead, don't you think he'd be dead? It's not like I quit hitting him because I was tired. <laughs> <laughs> that is Amos in a nutshell right Absolutely. there. Absolutely. Perfect Amos quote. Okay. While we, before we wrap up here, maybe you can shine a little light for me on yeah. Alex's wife. Oh, I'm so she glad they shelved really that. She really hates him. I'm so, so happy that that wasn't a thing that we were going to do for the whole book. Like, yeah. Oh, me too. But I, I don't, really I don't think it was where bad. Where she's coming from. Um, I mean, Alex bailed to go fly yeah. ships. Um, she wanted to be married and she wanted to have a life with a person that she loved. And he left. And um, I think she had every right to be upset about it. And Yeah, I guess they do. They explain that in, in one of the last books. Huh? Yeah, it's when Alex like, is yeah, talking I... to... Um, Alex is talking to... Uh, have luck about his military career and yeah yeah yeah, yeah. he was talking to have luck and so uh alex did bail and um i mean i think it's it's fine if you want to go maybe uh have like some kind of post-mortem or something i guess if you want to do that that's your prerogative but you need to be ready for the other person to not be receptive to that at all right and i think whose future you just destroyed right exactly and i mean (laughs) okay that makes sense and i'm really glad that i'm really glad that that's what that was and Alex ended up kind of going on this wild goose chase with Bobby and stuff. And, you know, uh, closure, closure is a weird thing, you know, because I, I feel like closure when I was a lot younger, I thought that closure meant I was going to feel better about something. 
That's hmm. not necessarily what that is. No, it's, you're it's, just at peace with the situation. Right, exactly. It's like you don't necessarily feel right. You don't necessarily feel correct. You don't necessarily feel good about the situation you can still cry anymore. About it. You can totally still cry about it, but you now know where things are. You now know where things lie. Right. There's nothing to be added to that storyline. That's a really good way of putting it. And so uh, if Alex felt like he, that storyline wasn't finished yet, then I totally understand why he would go and do that. Um, but at the same time, I mean, I, I, I was I, even reading it. I was like, this isn't going to go anywhere like this. No. Then like <laughs> you, two books ago, left. she like blasted out something to like the whole universe, like broad. Oh, no, that was, that was like, about Prax. That was about Prax. Oh, okay. You're right. You're right. Yeah, oh, yeah. That's right. It was Prax's wife. It was just like. Yeah. <laughs> that was messed <laughs> up. <laughs> that was super messed up. I was like, yeah. whoa. Yeah. Dude. I, I looked ahead. I looked ahead into Babylon's Ashes, and there's totally uh, some Prax chapters. Really? So. Okay, cool, cool. Where do you think this story is going? That's a tough one. Hopefully not through the I don't know. I think that, <laughs> so I think that the Free Navy is just this midpoint in the series that we have to deal with. Um, and I think it'll be dealt with by book seven or eight, or maybe the end of book six. Um, I could see the Free Navy either evolving into something uh, bigger than it was intended to be by Duarte, or kind of dissolving and being like this kind of mid-hump that we needed to get over to further unify uh, the OPA and the, like the Belters and Mars and Earth and stuff so that we could face this threat. And I feel like maybe the the Free Navy dropping all these asteroids on Earth was kind of like a last, like, thing that would start bringing people together so we could face whatever's going on outside of these gates that seems to be yeah, in my I mind that oh you do okay yeah that seems to be kind of like where things are headed i i don't know there's a lot of specifics like i don't know what's really going on on mars i feel like we should spend some more time there yeah. um because mars is a really important planet with a gigantic military and a gigantic navy and stuff and that is also going to get gutted over exactly the next... so i don't know why we haven't been spending very, uh, hardly any time, any time talking about Mars or even on Mars or anything we've been except on for we've, a few times. well we've had Alex on Mars um but it was kind of like an Alex thing you know <laughs> um just checking out his roots and stuff which I really appreciated um but yeah I think that's kind of this looks like we have to really start kind of coming together here and yeah understanding the existential threat that is kind of looming over everything that's at least what I think is going to start happening maybe there will be another huge development that everybody has to contend with but i feel like the free navy might be it that'd be yeah, interesting I, th I think you're right i think we will get that development but it'll be after the free navy and i think you're totally on the right path where it's like the proto molecule hasn't manifested itself in a way that allows us as a species to come together to face something that could exterminate us even though that's absolutely what we're experiencing it's it's not physical enough it's still too ethereal but like the free navy that is an actual threat that the rest of us can kind of get behind and take out together and then maybe face the next thing that might be the proto molecule manifesting itself together yeah and i wouldn't have called that necessarily uh like our but it's, it makes a lot of sense that we'd have yeah. like this rogue faction break off but i didn't think i thought there'd be a certain amount of infighting and then whatever this threat was would manifest in like the fifth or sixth book and then the rest of the series would be about that. But I think we've got a little bit of a hitch here that we need to to kind of even out first, which is definitely interesting. Yeah. And I think even once we get if, if we do get a large alien something or, or some other evil manifest itself, I think that at the end of the day, this will be a story of humans overcoming their own nature in order to grow beyond our means currently which is like both physically and mentally and spiritually, all that stuff, you know? I mean, that seems to be one of the main things that uh, S.A. Corey is trying to drive home is this is not a rose-colored glasses view of the future. This is this is us as we are right now, just spread out into space. You know, there, there's really not, there's really, un unfortunately, in my opinion at least, and a lot of other people's opinions, like the corruption that you're seeing out here, the backstabbing, the lying, the politicking, all of it, the machinations that are that are ruining the lives of millions of people all the time, that has not stopped. And no. it's very the OPA depressing. Is even more <laughs> fractured now. They yeah, can't even sucks. get on the same yeah, team. Yeah, it it's um, you know, and obviously a lot of science fiction deals 
in um, kind of like the sociological aspect of this kind of advancement and this kind of expansion and stuff, but I haven't seen it with such a bent towards the characters like I have yeah. in this. It's it's very good. Like Which if, makes it a I very emotional sum up, journey. If I could sum up The Expanse, it's very good. It is very good. <laughs> and with that, <laughs> with that, we'll leave everybody. Uh, thank you so much for listening to this episode, folks. Thanks for being on this journey with us. We're more than halfway through The Expanse now and loving every second of it. Woo! Definitely make sure to sign up for the Patreon. It helps us out a lot. Jump into the really? Discord. We have our own Expanse channel up in there. And look forward to our Friday Forge episode this week. We've got an episode for The Killing Moon coming out this weekend. And then the Monday episode and the episode for Babylon's Ashes next week. We got all kinds Oof. of cool stuff coming for you. Thank you so much again for listening. Hope you have an awesome rest of your day. And of course, happy reading. Bye, everybody.